0: Last Sunday, we started into our summer series that we call the Psalms of Summer. And Lord willing, this year we're going to be journeying through Psalms 70 through 79. I love the Psalms for so many different reasons. It's an incredible part of God's Word. One of the many reasons I love the Psalms is because it speaks into the real, raw reality of life in all of its different experiences. And it, and it speaks into all of the different seasons, even of life. I've titled this morning's message playfully Old, Gray, and Ready to Pray. And I I sort of hesitantly named it that. Now, don't get too mad at me because it's right out of the text, okay? So first of all, but I also know that I find myself in a little bit of this like caught in the middle moment right now. See, some of you hear me say even that title and you're like, who are you, you young buck starting to, and your, your, your backs are starting to get up, and you think it's sort of like poking fun. But then others in this room, and if we were, for example, to line up like my kids, they have no problem pointing out the number of gray hairs that are starting to grow on my chin, or calling me old. And, and I had one of these moments in the last couple of weeks, these like, you know you're getting old when moments. You know, anybody know what, that, what those are like? Okay, so he, here, here was my like, you know you're getting old when moment in the last couple of weeks. I hurt my knee. Now, you might be like, oh, well, that's not that big of a deal, but, but why don't you ask me how I hurt my knee? Okay, thanks for asking. So I hurt my knee the other day getting out of bed. Okay? I'm getting so old that the the high-intensity exercise of getting my leg out from under the sheet, it wasn't even touching the ground. It was just getting my leg out from under the sheet. I have injured my knee. You know you're getting old when, okay? Old, gray, and ready to pray. I, I've titled that, all joking aside, this message, because we're going to see on several occasions here, the psalmist references actually his age. And, and it would seem that in the instance of this psalm, as he's facing some, some obstacles, some oppression, some people coming against him, it is specifically rooted in the fact that he's got more than the majority of his years now behind him. He, he finds himself at this place in life where he's not able to do all the things he used to be able to do. He's not young like he used to be. And, and there are some people who are looking at him and saying, oh, you're, you're past your prime and should be shoved off to the side. You are forgotten. There's been too much that is past and what good can you do now? You are forsaken, and let's just take advantage. And the psalmist here is leading a prayer, praying from that moment, from that scene. Leading us to pray because there are some in this room who maybe even as we start to delve into this, that's exactly where you find yourself today, those sort of sentiments and feelings, and you will find yourself resonating with the psalmist, And for every single one of us, whether you land in the spot where the psalmist is in terms of your stage of life, or you are a little bit away from that, there's going to be some great encouragement, reminders, challenges for us, because God's heart for his people, as we're going to see in the psalm, is that he loves and is at work in all different generations. He has not forgotten or forsaken anyone, and he calls us, his church, to be a people of many generations who are living out his heartbeat towards all generations. So, let us jump into Psalm 71. If you haven't already, grab your Bibles out. And we're going to do this message in sort of two parts. The first half, we're going to walk through this psalm. Just going to walk through and kind of get a high-level overview of what this psalm looks at. There's five sort of stanzas to this prayer. And so we're gonna go through each of those. And then the second half, we're gonna circle back and take away two main application points, reflections, takeaways for us today. So the first stanza is verse one to four. Here's what God's word says. Psalm 71, verse one to four. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock and refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. The psalmist here is calling out to God. He, he remembers in his past, I have taken refuge in you and now I need to. Verse three, be my rock and refuge now here. Rescue me and deliver me here and now. Turn your heart to me and save me. Deliver me, O God, verse four says. He's feeling the opposition coming against him whom he describes as the hand of, of the wicked and the grasp of evil, cruel men. There's a force coming against him, and whether this was David or not that was writing this, we don't know. It doesn't have a title over top of it. Some some scholars think that this is a, David, a Davidic psalm. It's connected up with Psalm 70. We don't know for sure, but whether this was David or not, it, it would seem that he has come to this point where... As he's getting older, he's describing a situation where some are seeing him in his vulnerability as their opportunity. Some are seeing him in his vulnerability as he is older and weaker and not able to do all that maybe he once could. And they're looking and saying, this person isn't as strong, isn't as quick, isn't as able they're ripe for the picking. And it says here, this is wicked. These are, these are wicked people who are thinking this way. It is evil. It is not okay. This is not the way that God is looking at this situation. This is not the way God is looking at this individual The psalmist is crying out, God, I need you to protect me and to be my safe place at this moment. The second stanza, verse 5 to 8, we read, For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have uh, relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become... Like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. The psalmist here is looking back over his life. As his life seems to be at risk, he's got one of these, you know, like, your life flashes before you moments. Which is all too often happens when we find ourselves in a moment of crisis or perhaps at a season like The psalmist is in here. He says, I will praise the Lord because he has been my hope for my whole life when I look back over all the years that have transpired. Since my youth, he says, my confidence has been in the sovereign Lord, it says in verse five. He he remembers back even to being a baby and talks about his mother's womb in verse 6. God has been faithful all those years. I, I love one of the songs that we fairly regularly sing here, The Goodness of God. It's got this one lyric, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good to me. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Can anybody say amen to that? The psalmist would surely say, Amen to that. All my life, you have been at work and faithful, God. I praise you. Verse 8 My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Then he goes to the third stanza here. He glances back at the attackers. He's looking around at the enemy, the opposition, the haters. Verse 9, do not cast away, cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me, those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him, pursue him, seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly. Oh, my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. This group of enemies that is around him is plotting and conspiring to attack, to take advantage, to manipulate, to abuse. Seemingly for the very reason that he is getting old. They're they're chiming this sort of chorus. You can hear the psalmist almost repeating it back, right? Like, you are old, you are weak, people have forsaken you. No one's coming to get you. No one cares anymore. Which, Which also means, guess what? God doesn't care anymore. This is the message they're chirping in his ear. No one cares. No one even notices anymore. You've been forgotten. The world... And the Lord has moved on without you. Sometimes, that's how it can feel. Can't it? Sometimes, more, more than a few times, I've heard dear brothers and sisters say a very similar sentiment to this. To agonize and feel like, you know, I just, I can't do what I used to be able to do. My body just won't let me. I can't, I can't produce in the way that I used to be able to produce at, at work, in my home, over my home, in the church even. It feels like, it feels like everybody's just sort of moved on. It feels like everybody's just sort of even forgotten me. I, I wonder why I'm even still here. Ever felt that? As I said, this is one of the reasons why I love the Psalms. Because they don't just speak to the like polished, everything is perfect, phantom life that none of us really live in. It actually speaks to it, God understands the, the heartache. And the agony of our broken world, he empathizes with us and he gives us prayers that come from the real, raw reality of experiences that we walk through. And sometimes those are wonderful and magnificent and joy-filled and sometimes they're heart-wrenching and agonizing. And they just feel so difficult. And the psalmist here, the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, guiding the psalmist, gives us prayers in all of these experiences of life. Verse 14 is the fourth stanza, where he starts to look back on his past. He moves from looking at the enemies around him to now looking back. But as for me... As if speaking to his own soul, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more, God. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I am old and gray. Do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. In response to all those fearful, forgotten, heavy feelings, the psalmist retorts back, declaring to God, speaking to his own soul, I will not forget God because God has not forgotten me. I will not gloss over all the amazing and glorious works that he has done. I will not allow the lies of the enemy that is chirping on the doorstep make me miss what I've gotten to see God do over the years. Going right back to his youth, verse 17. Since my youth you taught me, I shall always have hope, verse 14. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation all day long, verse 15. Even when I am old and gray, verse 18. Even then I will tell the next generation of your power and your might. And then the final stanza, see, if stanza three is him looking at the enemies that are facing him, and stanza four is looking in his rearview mirror of all that God has done for him, stanza five is him looking up now to see by faith, believe all that God has ahead for him. Verse 19 through till the end of the psalm, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God, you who have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring again, bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with a lyre. Oh holy one of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I, whom you have redeemed, my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Though my body the psalmist is saying here, has gone through many troubles, bitter and deep troubles, and the inevitable reality he knows is coming not too far off because for every single one of us, we all have a common fate, lest Jesus return first, where we are all going to die. Every one of us will. We will inevitably, being old and gray, will lead to the depths of the earth as he talks about here. But the psalmist looks ahead to the most beautiful opportunity with most beautiful faith, believing that God is not done even though death may come. Verse 19, the righteousness of God reaches to the skies and is going to lift us from the depths of the earth and bring us up again. The psalmist here beautifully, majestically, powerfully, without knowing the whole story, but by the, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit leading him, is prophetically looking ahead to the coming resurrection that Jesus is made possible, that we remember around the communion table that death isn't it for those who are the redeemed, that death, death isn't it for God's covenant people. I will, verse 22, praise you with the harp and sing praise to you with the lyre. My lips will shout for joy, for I am one of the redeemed. Never ending, all day long, I will tell of your righteousness and your vindication of all that was evil. I will praise you. Death is not going to be it. Death has been defeated. Jesus conquered the grave, dear friends. That's the song. Now, let me draw us to two big applications that I think come out of this psalm. There, there are lots that we could point to, But let me zero us in on two takeaways today when we consider all that we have seen and been led to pray in this psalm. First, in this psalm, I believe we see this truth. God adores the old and gray. He doesn't abandon them. Let me say that again. God adores the old and gray. He does not abandon them. This is a psalm written at the later stages of David or whoever the psalmist that's writing this living, speaking of the experiences of having more than the majority of their years behind them, and now a mounting group coming around them to try and take advantage of him because he is, by some anyway, deemed weak, forgotten, forsaken, and neglected, I mean, that's what he says. Like twice, he says, verse 9, do not cast me away when I'm old. Verse 18, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God. And the fact that God, in his infinite wisdom and care, would decide to include of one of his 150 psalms, a psalm specifically speaking to this season of life and this experience tells me God has not abandoned those who are old and gray. He wants us to resoundingly hear as the people of God. God has not forgotten. God has not forsaken those who are advanced in years. You matter to God. You matter to God. We have grown into ourselves such a a production-driven, efficiency-demanding society. Have we not? You you know how we measure today whether you have value to me? Well, what have you done for me lately? That's how we measure it. How, How quickly can you get stuff done for me? You know, like my my watch band is about to break. And so a day ago, I was like, I could go to the store and spend the time or I could pull up my phone and order a watch band on Amazon. And by this afternoon, a watch band is going to be showing up on my doorstep. We want to get things as quick as possible because surely that's the best way to do it, isn't it? We think all the best things are the new things. What's the best phone? Well, the newest phone. What's the best car? Well, the newest car. Some of you might disagree with that, but what's the best computer? If you have a computer that's more than four years old, you're banging your head against a wall. New, new, new. Quick, quick, quick. Efficiency. What have you done for me? And without perhaps even realizing it, or maybe, sadly, consciously, it has been realized. We've taken this and applied it over to people. Where we deem the worth of another based upon what can you do for me. We deem the value of another, how quickly can you get it done? We deem the hierarchy of a person, well, how new are you? You see here in this psalm the descriptor that God gives to people who are acting and looking and thinking upon the psalmist in that way, don't you? He he calls them wicked, evil, and cruel. That's what God thinks about people who view others because they're at the latter stages of their life as worthless, forsaken, and forgotten. That is an evil way to look at the world. That is a cruel way to look at the world. That comes from wickedness and sin. See, we need the wisdom. We need the maturity. We need the love. We need the care. We need the prayers. We need the presence of those who are old and gray, church. We need them. We need you. And we need to love our dear saints who have gone before us. We cannot forsake or brush aside or move beyond just because someone can't produce like they used to, can't do it as quick as they used to, or isn't as young as they used to be. We cannot have that mentality. Now, if I may speak to those, and I will most definitely group myself in this, for those of us who may not find ourselves at this stage yet that the psalmist is from, I think this psalm drives us hard to do a heart check. To do some serious heart work before the Lord and say, God, where and how have I failed in this? Here's where it starts in your own family. In my own family. How, ask yourself this question, how have I done at caring, loving, being present and appreciating, or forgetting, forsaking and brushing aside those who are the elders in my own family? How have I done at that? How about on your street, your neighborhood? How have you done with those who are around you at showing the love and care and compassion and presence and interest in those who are on your street who are not able to do all that they might have been able to do many years ago? How about in our church? How are you, how am I, how are we doing at honoring and appreciating, at loving and caring for those who are old and gray? I think we get so busy and caught up in all that life is. We get caught up in the direction of everything else around us and it is very easy to not live out what the Lord desires for us but to be far too similar to the group that's surrounding the psalmist here at times. And I think speaking again to myself here too we need some serious heart check we may even need some time to repent and ask for forgiveness we may need to remember back to last week if you weren't here go online and check with the message where we've been living in one direction and we need to stop and ask the lord to give a change in our hearts that we might repent and turn the other way God adores the old and gray. He does not abandon them. Now, this point here too, I think, speaks to, if if you find yourself, and I won't do a show of hands, okay, whether you think you land in this camp or not, but if you find yourself in a spot where you're at a stage of life where you might resonate a little bit with what the psalmist is in, okay, this psalm also speaks to you, dear brother, dear sister, dear mother or father, grandmother, grandfather in the faith, if I could say it even that way, the psalmist speaks to you. If you feel like you've been forgotten, if you feel like maybe people or God has forsaken you or moved on without you, or those around you have moved on or forgotten or forsaken you, this psalm, I believe, speaks to tell you today, God loves you. He has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. He sees you. He hears you. He cares for you. He does not determine your value based upon what you can produce. He does not base your worth on whether you're able to do what you used to be able to do. He loves you in Christ right where you are. On those days when your house feels oh so quiet. On those nights when you go to bed and the loved one that had been for many years lying beside you is not there, he is with you. At those moments where you go to the funeral, of yet another peer, and you look around the room and see there's not too many more peers left. You need to know. Don't just wave the towel, you're still here for a reason. God adores the old and gray. He doesn't abandon them. Here's the second takeaway. Challenge for us out of this psalm. Challenge for every one of us, no matter how young or old you are. And I love looking across this room because there is the gamut right now, okay? Here's the next challenge. The next generation needs to hear God's stories. The next generation needs to hear God's stories. Let me just go back and read a couple of the verses we already looked at. Verse 17, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I am old and gray. Do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. I remember very early on when I was at this church, Natalie and I and our family were at a little kid's birthday, of one of our kids. And we're sitting in the living room and I I sat down beside John Mintz. Now John and uh, Diane, I think, are at Bethel Southwest this morning. Some of you will know John and Diane. They have been stalwarts as part of his congregation for years. Some of you haven't met John and Diane yet. You need to meet John and Diane. They are wonderful, godly saints. I didn't know John and Diane too, too well. I'm sitting there. We're having lunch, and I turned to John, and I can't remember exactly how, but somehow we started talking about short-term mission trips or something. And I asked John the question, have you ever been on a short-term mission trip, John? And he very... Some of you are like, why are they laughing? You'll figure it out in a moment. He very just kind of like, oh, yeah, I've been on a couple. Very understated. So I said, oh, well, how many have you been on, John? He said, I don't know. I lost count at 50. (laughs) I just about fell out of my seat. I'm like, what, 50? He's like, yeah, yeah. We made it a thing since we were young that twice a year, every year, even when we had, oh, by the way, 10 kids, Twice a year, every year, at least he and Diane went on the mission trip. And then he begins to tell me the stories. Now, of course, he's got like decade upon decade and 50 plus of these trips, so he didn't even scratch the surface, right? But I'm just sitting there listening to John tell me these stories of answers to prayer and moves of God and lives transformed and border guards and the way God blinded eyes and they got in and all these different kinds of tales. And I just, and I still, like this is seven years ago, and I still, my soul is still warmed by thinking back to some of those conversations i had eating lunch at a little kid's birthday hearing from this dear saint from our midst professing here's what god has done let me pass on to the next generation just a few of the tales of what the lord has been faithful to do oh bethel the next generation needs to hear god's stories we need it they need to be told they need to be heard But I see two major obstacles in the roadblock here. Here's the first one. Intimidation. We need to hear these stories, but I think intimidation rises up as this wall that is blocking this from happening. And we need to grab like a bazooka. This psalm is calling us to be like, let's grab a bazooka and just blow up the wall of intimidation. See, There are some in this room, and I don't know where to draw the line, okay? So I'm not even going to pick a date, but you're in the older side of the side, okay? (laughs) And you look at those who are on the other side, okay? Wherever you want to draw that line. And there's this wall of intimidation. Because you feel like and you think, that, that the younger don't really want to hear your stories. They don't really care. They're too busy. They're too running around. There's too much chaos as they've got their little kids around. There's all these things. They, they, don't, they don't need that. And so there's this wall of intimidation. And then on the other side, those who are on the, the, the younger side look to those who are on the older side and are like, they don't really care. There's this wall of intimidation that's just like, I I can't walk across the room because they're not really that interested. They've got their own little group of friends and peers of their own age, and they seem to be fine. They don't really want to engage with. And and they're just over there, and and they're intimidating. And on both sides, looking at each other, there's this giant wall of intimidation. When actually, it's not true in either direction. Almost all the cases i found. I've actually found that the young people want to hear from you, older, dear brother and sister. And that the older brothers and sisters want to talk to you, dear younger brother and sister. And here's what's even more important. We both need it. We both need it. We need to hear of the times when your marriage was really struggling and God got you through. Because sometimes our marriages are really struggling and we don't know if we can make it across the other side. We need to hear the tales of when your kids went awry and God in his grace drew them back or carried you through because sometimes it feels like, is there any hope right now? You need to hear that the world is not going to hell in a handbasket, that there are young men and women rising up who want to follow Jesus and raise their families to follow Jesus and live for him, and the world is not lost. Jesus is still working in the next generation. You need hope. We need to sit around the little kids' tables and hear the God stories that we didn't even realize were right there in front of us. We need this. We need to blow up today that intimidation thing that makes you look across the room to whoever it is and feel like, no, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. No, God desires for us to be a body young and old and everyone in between that belongs to one another, needs one another, and is investing into one another. Here's the second barrier to close us off. So I think some of us, many of us find that intimidation wall holding us back from living out all that God wants us to be as a church. I think the other thing that holds us back is the wall of comfort. The wall of comfort. Because there is a part in which it is easier to just stay in the circle of people who are like us. Whatever stage of life you're at, whatever background, we, we know, right? You know. There are the little circles of people who are going through similar things to us, similar interests to us, similar stages as us, and it's easy to be drawn into those circles cuz they're comfortable. Now don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with having those spheres of peers. Nothing wrong with that. That's a precious gift. Others who are journeying at the same stage of life that you're at, whether it's young moms all getting together or businessmen all getting together or retirees getting together or whatever. There's nothing wrong inherently with that at times. But if all we do is stay in our comfort bubbles, we are all missing out. I remember hearing this story. I think it was from um, an interview with a pastor. I can't remember where I heard this, but it's always stuck with me. Where, where this guy, this pastor, was visiting another church. And, uh, and he, he was sitting down there, went through the service... And uh, it's a very lively, energetic service. There's a whole ton of youth that were a part and young adults that were a part of this congregation. The music was loud. The the energy of the service was loud. It was all these things. But then he noticed there was also a pretty significant group of older folks with whiter hair. And, And he was really kind of just curious about this. And so the service ends, and he decided to go over and introduce himself to one of the senior ladies that was there. And he introduced himself. Hey, I'm such and such friend of the pastor that's here. I'm just visiting and, and here for the day. And I, I was just curious. Like I'm I'm here for the first time. I, and uh, it's a, it's a really beautiful church that you've got here. Uh, in terms of like just the people makeup. What do you think about your church? I'm just here the first time. And she says, Oh. I love my church. And she just starts raving about all the things she loves about her church. And she's just going about and she's just like brimming with it. And he's like, "Oh, well what do you think about the music?" And she says, "Oh, I hate the music. It's so loud, it's so fast, it's so it's not at all. I can't even follow the words." And and the pastor's kind of puzzled by this, like these two sides. And and he gives her this like, "Well, what what do you mean?" How were both of those true? And she says, she points. See my grandkids that are right over there? They love coming to church. They love coming to church. And this might not be the way I would do it or I did it many years ago, but it's not just about me. See, if we ever think there is going to be a church that is exactly the way I want it to be, you will be sorely chasing a phantom. I don't, I don't care how like, young or old or whatever it might be. There is never going to be a church that is going to have all the things the way you like it, all the programs that are your preference, all the approaches that are your style, all the everything that is exactly, there's, it doesn't exist. And we need to not fight against that and be angry with that, but we need to lay each of us just like the one we say we're here for Jesus, lay ourselves down to say, it's not about me. I'm not seeking my own interests. I'm not seeking my own it. There are others who need Jesus. And we are not here at a shopping mall. We are here as instruments in a hospital to serve those who are desperately in need. And not just those who are in our midst, but those who have not yet come in through the walls. We need to lay our lives down because there is somebody else who sees the world differently than me that needs Jesus. And if my preference of the style of music or my approach to a particular ministry or the way I was impacted many years ago or the way I would want to redo it all right now to stop doing because I can't understand why on earth are we doing it and I want to start doing that. It's not about me. The next generation needs to hear of the Lord. And so I need to lay my life down and focus on telling those God stories so that they can. Old, gray, and ready to pray. May God give us the grace to be the kind of church that is lived out by God's heart to reach every generation with the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We worship you and we adore you. We thank you We thank you for your mercy and your kindness to each one of us. I thank you that you have you have worked years, decades, and decades ago to transform lives and there are stories to be told right here in this place of all those things you've done in the past. And I thank you that you are right now at work doing things in people's lives today. And everywhere in between. I thank you that you are the God who knows and cares for each one of us. That our identity is not rooted in what we can do for you, but we are firm and strong because of what Jesus has done for us. I thank you for the beautiful gift that dear brothers and sisters in our midst, and even some who are a part of this family, but at this moment right now, maybe they're watching at home or what have you and can't even be here because of the seasons of life, I thank you for them. What precious gifts it is to have seasoned saints a part of our family. I thank you for those who are just beginning to explore faith, and you and the Bible And new and young ones that are growing up and the the rooms downstairs that are filled with little ones learning about you. And I thank you for all those that are in between. I thank you for this church. And I ask that you would do more. I see a beautiful spectrum, but I see so much opportunity for more in my own heart in each one of our hearts. Tear down those walls of intimidation that the enemy would lie in our ears telling us to not cross, uh, to go across that line but to, may we lean in to one another and show the love and care and support push us beyond our comfort zones because we know that there are people here and not yet here who desperately need the gospel. We're not here for ourselves, we're here for you on mission that other people might come to love and worship and find salvation in you. In Jesus' name.